So, Merritt, I'm glad you brought that up about uh, steel structures. That's what I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, in, for the uh, 1889 uh, World Fair in Paris, uh, more than 100 artists submitted their plans to design the, uh, the centerpiece, uh, the, the masterpiece of the Exposition Universelle. Uh, the, the winner was an engineer named Alexander Gustav Eiffel, who proposed this 980-foot-tall steel structure, a, a, a tower, uh, the tallest building in the world at the time. And uh, skeptics scoffed at his design. Uh, they, they called it useless and artless. Uh, Eiffel called her la dame de fer, the iron lady. Uh, Eiffel's name was, was on his tower, but Eiffel himself thanked the uh, 72 scientists, engineers, mathematicians on whose shoulders he stood. Their names are inscribed on the tower. And the tower also uh, relied on 300 riveters, hammermen, and carpenters who put together the 18,038-piece puzzle. I don't know how many pieces, you, probably almost that many took two years, two months, five days. Oh, and then the, uh, you know, the acrobatic team that Eiffel hired to help his workers uh, maintain balance on the, uh, the thin beams during the strong gusts of wind. Uh, you know, we have each of them to thank, as well as the Paris City Council, who voted in 1909 not to tear it down, despite the fact that its 20-year permit had expired. And the tower's longevity also depends on each councilman and each of the voters who, who put them in office. In other words, there was a lot of people, a lot of people involved in this. You know, and as we continue our study in Nehemiah, today in chapter 3, we see the, uh, the rebuilding commence. It was, it was a big project, building a wall, restoring a wall around, around the city of Jerusalem. You know, it required the, the participation of, of the entire community. And uh, it, it required the people to come together with a, uh, with a common purpose, you know, putting aside their, their own desires, subordinating their, their own needs. And they did this for the sake of the work that God had called them to do. So this is what we're talking about. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to see the, uh, the building commence. Now there's a whole bunch of names that I'm going to uh, work through here. And this this kind of reminds me of a, a book that my children used to have fun having me read to them. It was a, a Dr. Seuss tongue twister book. <laughs> you know, so I said, well, you know, what, what should we read tonight? Yeah, let's read, uh, I forget the name of it. It was like, oh, don't make me read that. You know, Chris would be kind of in the background laughing at me. Anyway, let's read this. Chapter 3, verse 1, read with me in your Bibles. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. And the sons of Hassaneah, built a fish gate, and they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, 
son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joiada, the son of Paseah and Meshelam, the son of Besadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melathiah, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to them, or next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, son of Haramoth, repaired opposite his house. And next to them, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, repaired. Melchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Peath Moab, repaired another, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalem, the son of Helohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. Hyan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Melchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalem, the son of Kohoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the pool of Shilah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half-district of Bethzer, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool, as far as the house of mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, repaired its districts. After him, their brothers repaired Bevi, the son of Hinadad, ruler of half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Yezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house. Eliashib, to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men surrounding the area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, 
the son of Hinadad repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king to the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to the point opposite the water gate on the east of the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section operating or opposite the uh, great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his house. After him, Shimeiah, the son of Shianiah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaloph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate into the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber and the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Whew. <laughs> um, now, I, I know I butchered that. When I, when I took Hebrew class, Dr. Webster, he was, he was telling us that, you know, the way uh, the, the names are transcribed and the translations and the way that he hears people read the names, he says they're always wrong. He says, I... I don't say anything, but I just sit there and go, you know. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, why did I read that? Not, not, to, uh, not to get a round of applause for my uh, reading skills. But, uh, you know, there's, I, what, what we want to see is there's, there's a lot of detail here. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of people that come together in, in this chapter. And this only represents really a very small minority of the people. You know, these are you know, really the, the people who are leading the effort in, in this area, this area, this area, this gate, and, and, and so forth. So, you know, we've got this, this huge community project here. And the miraculous thing is, do you know how long this took to, to build? 53 days. Now think back, 53 days ago, what have you accomplished since then? You know. <laughs> anyway, what, what, can we learn, what can we learn from this? You know, I've, I've heard uh, sermons on this where, uh, where preachers will go through and um, don't, don't take notes on this, okay, because I don't think this is right, but they'll say, okay, the sheep gate points to Jesus. He's the good shepherd, and, and we're the sheep. You know, he, the good, he's the lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. The, the fish gate, it refers to us as, you know, Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, the, the old gate points to, I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, the, old, the old gate refers, points to the old the, the ancient church you know er, the early church in the in the first couple centuries uh you know believers who uh defended their their faith and, and the truth of god the, the valley gate points to the 
the period of church history, you know, kind of the dark ages where the church was in a valley spiritually. And, uh, well, the Dungate. Um, anyway, on and on, on and on. Now, you know, this, this kind of interpretation might be interesting. It, uh, may, it might be entertaining, but I don't think this is what uh, this, this chapter is about. This chapter is about the community of faith working together with, with a shared vision under dedicated leadership and, and committed workers. And so this chapter, with all, with all these names, I didn't count them, but there's a lot of names there. You know, it's, it's a tribute to God's people doing God's work God's way. So rebuilding requires a, a shared vision, a shared vision. This is, an, this is important. What happens if you get a whole bunch of people together and they can't agree on, on which direction to go? Yeah, they're, they're probably not going to get very far together. If they can't agree, there's going to be conflict. There's going and, and people are going to head off in, in separate directions. We've seen this ourselves. You know what? What happens if my right foot wants to go this way? That's my left foot, but it's your right. If this foot wants to go this way and this foot wants to go that way, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up in in some kind of a, a tumble. Having a shared version requires unity. Unity is essential. Uh, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Peter says, have unity of mind. And this chapter shows how these various various people from all walks of life, all kinds of different people, all different vocations and, and so forth, came together with a, with a shared vision. They came together in unity. He, he doesn't record anything about people arguing. You know, I want... I want my section of the wall painted blue and that doesn't go with your section of the wall. Or, you know, this section by my house, can't we extend it out a little bit so that my my yard can be bigger? And, you know, there, there wasn't this kind of fighting and squabbling. In 53 days, God's people came together under a shared vision and got the work done. They They, they saw... What needed to be done, and they and they did it. So the vision was a shared community vision to rebuild the walls, and to make a, and the gates, and, and make Jerusalem safe from enemy attack. Now the uh, you know this common vision. What's important? It's it's the source of vision. Where does where does this vision come from? And we we saw that in in uh, the last couple chapters of Nehemiah. You know, we need to ensure that, that our vision is, is from the Lord. We need to make sure that our vision lines up with, with God's vision. What we need is to have people who are, are in tune with what God wants. Uh, you know, I was thinking of another example in the Old Testament where a great diversity of people came together to to do something that was was big uh, exodus thirty five thirty to thirty five talks about uh, the community of god 's people working together to uh, to build the tabernacle you know that was the uh, the tent which was 
kind of the precursor to the temple, kind of a portable temple they could they could you know take up and move around with them as they went through the wilderness. But it's interesting to to look at the people who worked together to build it, and uh, also you know probably more importantly is how you know God prepared each of the workers for their individual task. Uh, you know, he's God is the source of the vision. God is the source of the uh, the skills that are, that are required. Exodus thirty five thirty three five. Let me read this. Then Moses said to the people, "See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze." in cutting stones for setting and carving wood for every work or for for work in every skilled uh, craft. And he inspired him to teach both him and Ohaliab, the son of Ahizmach of the tribe of Dan. He's, He's filled him with a skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. And he, he goes on, he goes on talking about the different, uh, the different tasks, the different skills required to build his tabernacle and the people who God enabled to do this. God gave him the skills. He gave him the intelligence Gave him the uh, the energy to to do it, the power to do it. You know, God gave Moses very explicit directions on how to build this tabernacle, and the vision to build it, and the instructions were directly from the Lord. And later on, when the, when the temple was built, you know, David had a a vision to build the temple, and God said, "No, you're not going to do it. Your your son's going to do it." And when you you read the narrative, you, you just see God's hand in it the whole time. You see God as as the source of of this vision. You see both David and Solomon in a lot of prayer and preparation, and, and through the process, you see the community coming together to make this uh, this vision from God, and uh, you know, taken on by the people, uh, a reality. And you know, I love what Paul says in, in Philippians 2.13. He says, it is uh, God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, this, this describes a, a, a vision from God implanted in the hearts of, of the people by God with the, the work empowered by God. You know, this, this is the kind of vision we need. This is the kind of vision that all God's people need. So we, you know, we, we need to see ourselves heading in the direction that God has for us to go. Next, rebuilding takes dedicated leadership. You know, Nehemiah is a, a book that in any, any Bible school or seminary course on leadership, Nehemiah is, is central to that, that course. You know, Nehemiah just lives out godly principles of, of leadership. But this vision started with Nehemiah. Remember, God stirred his heart. Uh, Nehemiah left his, his comfortable palace in, in Susa. 
And he, he mobilized the, the people when he got down to Jerusalem to do this, this rebuilding. As we go through the book, we, you know, we, just, we, we can't help but see Nehemiah's vision. You know, his, his heart is for God. His, his heart is for the people. His heart is for the, the city of Jerusalem, you know, the, the city of God, Zion, where God's temple is, where you know, people from all nations would, would come and, and pray. Uh, we, we can't underestimate the importance of, of Jerusalem. It would, just wasn't some random place. Uh, in Zechariah 8.3, listen, listen to what God says about uh, Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. The Bible, the Old Testament especially, is full of speech like this about Jerusalem. Psalm 87, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Charles Wesley wrote, wrote a hymn about that. So Nehemiah, under, under God's leadership, was dedicated as a leader, to make it happen. You know, he, he gave, he shared the vision, he gave the people inspiration, he, he planned the work, he, he organized it, he allocated the people, he allocated the, the resources for, you know, building this wall around Jerusalem, for, for rebuilding the gates. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see as we go on that he was just subject to a lot of opposition from, from outside, conflict inside. But God enabled him to provide dedicated leadership, self-sacrificing leadership. And, uh, you know, biblical leadership is, is something special. Uh, you, uh, a lot of secular leadership books that I've read um, seem to be based on, on biblical principles. Not all of them, but, but some of them, a lot of them. Uh, you know, leaders, leaders should never see themselves as existing for their own sake. You know, the people, the people, don't, the people don't exist for the sake of the leader. It's just the opposite in, in God's economy. The, the leader exists for, for the people. Uh, you know, that's, that's the example that, that Jesus Christ set for us, right? A, a servant leader. Matthew 28, 25 through 28, Jesus talks about this. He, he's, he sets the apostles straight. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about why God has, has given leaders to, to the church. In Ephesians 4, 12, he gives a reason, spells it out very clearly, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. You know, uh, a, a leader is nothing with, without followers. And so uh, probably the, well, 
Definitely a very important part. Uh, point number three is rebuilding takes committed workers. It takes the mobilization of, of the entire uh, community of, of faith. Remember in, in chapter two, Nehemiah exhorted the people, you know, look, look at the city. It's, it's in ruins. It's, it's been torn down. The gates are, are burnt. The, the walls are a pile of rubble uh, where they once stood. Uh, you know, the city is vulnerable. Any, any enemy from outside can come and attack. You know, we're, we're giving them an open invitation to come on in. There's gaps in the walls, no gates. And he said, let's rebuild, let's rebuild. And the people said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Committed workers. They were committed to what the Lord had, had stirred in Nehemiah's heart. And that same vision, Nehemiah passed to the people. And the Lord stirred their hearts with that same vision. Um, Paul says in Romans twelve eleven. And this speaks to all of us. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And that's, that's what these people demonstrate here is uh, zeal, fervency of spirit. You know, they were, they were charged up to, to do this work. And uh, as, as we read through this, notice how this work has been apportioned. You know, you, you see everybody's working towards the, the same goal. We're not told a lot of details, but, you know, you you get the idea everyone's doing their part. Except for in verse 5, there's one one little thing in parenthesis almost. It said, but the the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Uh, You you read that and you go, what? That that really sticks out like a a sore thumb. You know, the the people from Tekoa, the, the nobility... Thought it was beneath them. This 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 menial labor of, of lifting stones and cutting stones and building the walls and doing the, the work required, it's there that's too low for them. Too important to do their Lord's work. Um, I've I've seen this. Uh the, the church in Dallas where I did my internship, there was this one guy. And um, this church was a, a church plant. It was in the second year of, of the uh, the plant. And I, Chris and I have been involved with, with a couple. Church plants take a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of menial work. Uh, I, was, I was going to seminary doing my internship. Um, Chris and I were on a schedule to, to clean the auditorium, to vacuum the chairs. Uh, I, I mowed the lawn. Um, you know, there's just a lot of lot of stuff that had to be do had had to be done. Well, there's this one guy that, whenever there was a work day or anything that needed to be done, he was gone. Nobody nobody ever said anything about him. Nobody complained that he wasn't there. But this one this one Sunday when the congregation was was voting on uh, the selection of elders, this church it, it, until that point didn't have any elders. And so, you know, finally got to the point, elders, 
this guy was not selected, and he got angry, and he and his whole family stood up and stormed out, and we never saw him again. We've got some great elders here who, who, who are willing to stoop for their, their Lord's work. Um, anyway, the Lord's work calls for stooping. None, none of us are, are, are too high to, to do the Lord's work. Uh, something else to notice is, is the various people who were, who were uh, contributing to the work. Notice, notice how it identifies the people. You really get the idea that uh, uh, they weren't professional wall builders. Do you remember some of those, those words? Uh, people of varying professions, there were, there were priests, even the high priest, there were, there were goldsmiths, perfumers, rulers, Levites, temple servants, merchants, uh, and undoubtedly people from any conceivable vocation was there working on the wall and really doing the same thing, chipping away with the hammer and the chisel and, and lifting the stones and, and doing the hard work of rebuilding the wall. There were both men and women doing this work. It says Shalem, the ruler of, of half district of Jerusalem, and his daughters did repairs. There were people from different cities, districts, regions. You know, we see that a lot of people are, are living in Jerusalem at the time, but you know what? There were a lot of people from the surrounding area that came. They left their, their farms and their livelihoods to come and work on this, this wall for, for uh, God's work in, in Jerusalem. There were, there were families working together. There were clans working together. You know, all, all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and levels of education and skill, and, and God used every one of them. Notice the, the different gates. I think some of these gates were probably more important and prestigious than others, some less so. For example, uh, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, was assigned to the Dung Gate. This guy was a ruler. Yet, working on the, the Dung Gate was, was not beneath him. And his, his name is, is memorialized in, in God's word. Thousands of years later, we're, we're reading about this guy who stooped to do the Lord's work. You know, the Bible says that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the, the people mobilized. They, this, this was absolutely a miracle from the Lord that these people came together under this vision from the Lord and, and did this work in 53 days. Um, yeah, I was thinking that when you know when the whole community comes together as one, uh, really amazing results are, are possible. We've all heard the stories of, of World War II. Uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, Japan attacked the U.S. military installations in the Pacific. Uh, the most devastating attack was was in Pearl Harbor. 
I remember my, my grandmother telling me about listening on the radio to the, uh, the news broadcast of, of this information. According to the National World War II Museum, uh, Japan's warplanes destroyed 164 aircraft, sank or damaged 18 warships, killed over 2,400 servicemen and civilians that day. And uh, President Roosevelt issued a, a response which uh, drew the people of the nation together. He, he said, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. And so the, the people of the country were, were united uh, to, to win the war. You know, our, our armed forces consisted mostly of, of citizens, citizens, soldiers, uh, men and women dra- uh, drawn from civilian life. Some were volunteers, but most of them were, were drafted into service. Uh, they came from every state of the nation and all... Uh, economic and social it's kind of the same thing people from every walk of life coming together to to fight this war and then on the home front uh, people participated in the the war effort uh, required the whole country to uh, sacrifice to cooperate with each other there was rationing uh, recycling people growing their own food and, and victory gardens you've heard of those People did with less, people did without. Uh, you know, the, the workforce changed, the, the industries changed, and, and the whole nation worked together to win this war. You know, and it's, it's a tribute to those, those people. What do they call them? The, the greatest generation. Well, this is, you know, it, this is the way the people coalesced in, in the time of Nehemiah to do this rebuilding work in, in Jerusalem. You know, young and old, near and far, people, people of all lives, all walks of life working together. You know, doesn't that speak to us in the church today? Uh, God has brought together a real motley group of people here. And I was thinking about it, you know, meet, meeting together, we have people who are or who have been... Uh, a mayor, contractors, farmers, a parole officer, a pharmacist, homeschool parents, a, a fisherman, a ski instructor, a fireman, an optometrist, engineers, a forest service worker, laborers, cleaners, a UPS driver, military veterans of all ranks, and uh, many more. If I missed you, I apologize. You know, our, our, our ages range from uh, very young to uh, not so very young. <laughs> you know, different sizes, different shapes. Um, you know, we're, we're a diverse group, but we all share this, this common mission, don't we? We're all under the same vision. The mission that Christ has gave us has given us as as a church is to make disciples, to go and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them and and teaching them the things that that Jesus has, has commanded us. That's what we're here for. We have a common purpose to to glorify Christ. It's right there in our constitution. Our, we are here to glorify Christ. And um, you know, I, I, I like the way. Uh, Paul talks about the church as 
living stones built on, on the foundation. We, we, just, we just heard about the foundation this morning. Merritt Merit talked about that. But we're each a stone in this, this building which is being built. It's being built up to be a habitation for, for God. That's, that's amazing. The Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, let me read it. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's beautiful. So God's work requires a shared vision. It requires dedicated leadership. It requires mobilization of the community, dedicated workers. You know, so let's, let's come together. Let's come together and glorify Christ. Let's, let's fulfill his mission. Let's pray. Um, Father, uh, in Jesus' name, uh, be glorified in us, Lord. We are here for, for your glory, Lord. We're here to, to worship you and to, to praise you and to make your name known to the nations. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would work in each and every heart here, Lord, as we, as we stand together in, in unity uh, to, to grow and, and function as, as the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, may we lay aside our our differences and subordinate our personal personal preferences and desires to your desire for us lord and serve each other serve each other lord each, each in our own way according to the uh, gifts that uh, the holy spirit has, has sovereignly given us uh, lord jesus uh, build your church with us as, as living stones, Lord, help us to grow into maturity. Um, let us be filled with your spirit as we glorify you, Lord. And we pray these things and desire your glory for Jesus' sake. Amen.